to grow. You meet our needs. You make us feel safe. Just pray, God, that your love would flow into our hearts, that you would empower the words and like seeds they'd plant into our hearts and just grow and bring new life and even bring comfort to pain and break strongholds, lies that people um, experience that, that hinder them from the fullness of what you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a, a friend who got into drugs. He, he got into alcoholism, and for years he, he was stuck. He was just stuck. And his parents loved him, as good parents do, and it so devastated his mom that she couldn't, she couldn't bear it. And she just, like, to protect herself, she started to just, like, distance herself emotionally, started to close her heart to her son. Well, her son came to Christ, and her son laid down the alcohol, laid down the drugs, got on fire for God, and just was really going for it, just going for Jesus, reading the Bible, speaking, getting spiritual gifts. His, his mom is a Christian. But you know what? His mom was so broken by seeing her son's life get destroyed that she's unable to really, in a deep way, be emotionally vulnerable to him because she's so afraid that he's going to go back and that he's, she's going to lose her son again, right? That kind of stuff happens. And we're, we're talking about love today. Just think about who you feel most comfortable around. Who do you feel most comfortable being yourself around? And it just you can throw out a name if anybody, a, a name comes to them. My Bob. Okay, her Bob, okay. <coughs> Anyone else? That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Anyone else want to share? Who's that? Okay. 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 My wife, my brother. So the people that we feel most comfortable really being ourselves around are those who love us the most, right? And who love us most unconditionally, right? When 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 we're loved unconditionally, we feel so accepted, we feel so wanted, we feel so free to be ourselves. There are people in my life that I can share the good and the bad, and they love me the same, regardless of what I'm sharing. That's unconditional love, right? If we are to define love, there's different definitions and there's different actual words for love in the Greek. Um, but there's some overlap on all of them. I mean, you have romantic love, you have brotherly love, you have family love, and you have unconditional love, okay? One of the underlying factors for love is a tender affection. Vine's Concordance defines phileo, brotherly love, as a tender affection. And if you look in some of the definitions of, of agape, agape is 100% for nothing, Right, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So what did we do to earn God's love? We rebelled against him. 
We dishonored him. We chose to worship the creation instead of the creator. That's what we did to deserve God's love. We did everything wrong, right? They chose darkness. They wanted darkness more than light. They crucified Christ. But yet a loving God with agape love chooses to come into a dark world and love a people that do not deserve it, that cannot earn it. And he knows that these people are going to fail over and over again until they have glorified bodies. They're going to be transformed, some more than others. But he knew that before he even sent his son to the cross. And he still said it's worth it to do this. Unconditional love. You have warm attachment. You have a, a meaningful bond. Think about the deepest bonds that you have with people. They're out of sight and you miss them. You miss them because you love them, because there's something special between you and them that nurtures your heart. God wants to have that quality of bond with us. Jesus invites us to abide in his love. Love is a choice, but it's more than a choice. Love is an attitude, but it's more than an attitude, right? Love is an emotion, but it's more than an emotion. Love is an action, but it's more than an action, right? It, it, it touches all of these different areas of our lives. When I am loved, I'm valued, my emotional needs are met. I am treated with kindness regardless of my behavior. I have a continual place in someone's heart. If I'm an eight-year-old and I, I write and scribble on the walls and my, my parents tell me not to scribble on the walls, my parents aren't going to beat me. You know, they, they're going to discipline me. They're going to bring some correction, but they're not going to yell and scream. They're not going to threaten. I'm going to send you to the orphanage if you keep doing this. Okay? I know people that when they misbehaved, they had parents that threatened they were going to get rid of them. Does that sound like love? Right? That's not love. That's fear. That's establishing fear bonds. True love is commitment. You understand? True love is commitment. As I study and meditate and look at how love is flushed out in the Bible, I think commitment is one of the best ways to define love. To think that God is committed to us for eternity regardless of what we do. And that's not a license to sin. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. What does real love look like? like? If I really love somebody, if I really love them, I'm going to want to honor them. I'm going to want to make them feel good. I'm going to want to make them smile. Isn't that what real love does? If you truly love somebody, you care about them, you care about their values, you care about their needs. Okay, That's what real love looks like. Paul prays that his people be rooted and grounded in love. For rooted and grounded in love, we feel safe, we feel secure. We're not afraid of the future because we know 
that somebody's going to take care of us, right? Those with the orphan mindset, they don't think anybody's going to take care of them because nobody really has. But a heavenly father, the father of the fatherless, comes in to those who are willing to receive him. He's going to give them a home. Those people who are loved are secure in relationship with the one who loves them. Their love for who they are, not what they do. Love is not rewarding people for good behavior. It's good to encourage people and reward them for good behavior. But we as Christians need to love and affirm people and have our hearts open to them regardless of their success or their failures. And the reality is a lot of us who grow up in performance environments, we close our hearts to ourselves and we don't live up to a certain standard. We fall short. We start to reject ourselves. We start to criticize ourselves. We start to accuse ourselves. We become our own worst enemy because we're not showing ourselves grace. We need to come to a place of loving ourselves unconditionally, loving others unconditionally, because that's how God wants us to love each other. Mm. When I think about love and read about love, I go to John 14, 1 through 3, and I, I mentioned that earlier today. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. Remember, Jesus came into the world, and he suffered beyond any of our comprehensions to a world that did not deserve his grace and mercy. He came, he became flesh, he became vulnerable to have intimate relationship, to bring Father God a family, to become a big brother for all these, these little brothers and sisters, to get a bride for himself, right? Why did he come into the world? For God so loved the world. Yes, he's holy, Yes, he has to deal with sin. But the way he wants to deal with it is by grace. By literally sacrificing himself, literally sacrificing his son to pay for our sins so he can have an eternal love relationship with us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. It's hard for some of us to trust, isn't it? Because our trust has been betrayed. Jesus understands, right? Trust in God. Trust also in me. Give me a chance. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with you. Take you to be with... Wait, wait take you to be with me that you also may know where I am. Okay. We see a family here. We see a dad. We see a son. We see a dad and a son, and dad's got a big house, right? He owns a lot of land. You call it heaven. You call it earth. Call it what you want. He owns it all. He's got a house, and he's looking wherever there are people, and he says, I want you to be mine. I want you to be a part of my family for eternity. I want you to belong. I want you to fit in. I want you to have joy. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to enjoy taking care of you. I want you. I want you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to use you. I'm going to give. I'm going to give to you. 
for eternity. I'm going to lavish my love on you and show you the unsearchable riches that are in my son, Jesus Christ. So he wants to bring us to a place of intimacy, of relationship, where we're not emotionally empty or broken anymore. And for those that say yes, he's going to do it. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. It's a, it's a guarantee. And if you really think of, you know, God designed us in his image, we are made for love. God is love. We are made for love. Our deepest heart cry, our deepest need is for somebody to love us. Unconditionally, even when we fail. And we're always going to have a welcome place in their heart. They're always going to want to be with us. They're always going to want to celebrate us. That is the heart cry for us when you really think of it. And God wants to do that for us. So love looks like family, right? Love looks like family. Love looks like commitment. I'm not going to reject you. I'm going to love you. We can be secure in the unconditional love of God. Jesus says a son belongs to the family forever, right? Slaves don't have a permanent home. But sons do. Sons and daughters in Christ have a permanent place. Romans 8, 38 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. No failure. No sin for those who are in Christ. Because remember, he paid it all on the cross. Didn't he? Past, present, and future. He paid it all for us. God's relationship with his children is entirely based on grace and mercy. If we come to the conclusion that it's up to us to keep this thing going, we have deceived ourselves. And we're probably going to get into legalism. We're probably going to feel really distant from God. We have to come to a place where we have such an understanding of grace that it grips us. It grips the way we think. It grips the way we feel. And when we think about God, we don't think about somebody who's hardened his heart against us because we had a bad thought or because we did something we shouldn't have. Because that's not who God is. That's a false God. That is a false God that says, I have to earn your love. We can't earn God's love. We can't lose God's love. He's not going to love us any more or any less than what he does now. right? If I, if I do something I shouldn't two hours from now, is God going to love me any less? No. The answer is no. The answer is no. And, and how do you, what is the root issue, my perspective, the root issue to deal with sin is to come to this place of unconditional love and grace. Because if my heart needs are met, I'm not going to go to all this destructive garbage anymore that never satisfies anyway. Sin, steal, kill, destroy, that, that's the work of the enemy. Sin, the wages of sin is death. People know what sin does to them. It might give them short-term pleasure, but most people, they're not stupid. You know, if they had the real thing, if they were able to receive the real thing, I don't think they'd go off and do stupid things that hurt them and hurt others. I just, I don't think a lot of people would. 
and I see, I see people who really encounter the love of God in a transforming way that, that grips their hearts and brings them joy. They really feel it, and they start to lay these things down. They lay them down, and they start to get real love by people who are going to try to love them unconditionally and try to release the love of God. We don't do it perfectly, but we can do it as long as you're willing, as long as you're open to the Holy Spirit to love people. He's going to do it through you because one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Isn't that right? Yes. So when I'm loved the right way, when I can receive love, I'm going to live a pretty healthy lifestyle. My life's probably going to get in order pretty well. I think that's, that's a pretty fair statement. No greater love has anyone than this that he lay down his life for his friends. <coughs> eternal holy God, perfect eternal holy God, looks at us. He looks beyond the sin. He looks beyond the failure. In fact, he looks at us through Jesus' righteousness and he says, I love you. I've made you righteous. I sent Jesus to the cross to endure my wrath for your sin. And I allowed myself to get emotionally hurt by you. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Because you're worth it to me. Because the relationship with you is worth it to me. Because I love you so much as a son and a daughter, I'm willing to sacrifice. There are many stories of loving parents who are willing to sacrifice for their children. There are probably some parents here who have emotionally sacrificed much and maybe have felt hurt and rejection by their kids, but they still choose to love, but it hurts. There's a cost to love. There's a cost to loving people. There's a sacrifice involved. There's a cost to God for choosing to love us and choosing to stay in relationship with us. But he found it worthwhile. And he's not going to change his mind on that either. This is how God loves us. He invites us, his children, to love in the same way. John 13, 34 says, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But see, here's the thing. He's qualified the love. It's beyond if somebody makes me feel good, if I like their personality, if they're doing the right things, then I can love them. No, 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 no. Remember, Peter denied him. Did Jesus stop loving Peter? No. Peter made some mistakes afterwards too, didn't he? Yep. He did, even with the gospel. He made some mistakes and Paul had to rebuke him. Did Jesus stop loving him? Nope. Peter was kind of headstrong, it seems. He would, he would deflect. He would, he would go into different things. Jesus has this deep, intimate conversation with the disciples. He's talking about love. He's talking about belonging. And Peter just like totally goes in a different direction. But how patient is Jesus with Peter? Because that's Peter's maturity level. He understands, right? Some of, us, some of us are immature in different ways. Some of us really need to grow, right? And that's called sanctification. Some of us come out of rough backgrounds. Some of us come out of abusive backgrounds. And we get saved. And then we come into this family of God with rough edges, those rough edges don't bother Jesus. 
God is long-suffering and patient, but they often bother us, right? It's the very love, that very unconditional love of the brethren, the sisters, that are going to smooth those rough edges, right? If somebody rubs me the wrong way, what is the Bible's command? To walk away from them or to bear with one another, right? To be patient, Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. We're going to go there. Now, the way a lot of the English Bibles in, interpret this, it would make you think that these, these are adjectives. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. But in the, in the Greek, these are actually verbs. Okay? So love is being patient. If you're walking in agape love, you're going to be patient with others. You're going to be kind to others. Even if you're having a bad day, I mean, God gives us the grace to be kind, even to people who aren't kind to us. The Bible says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It doesn't envy, right? I struggle with sin. I struggle with envy. I struggle with whatever. But to bring those things back to Christ, to bring those things back to the truth, to know that I have unsearchable riches, right? Unsearchable riches. And to get my mind off of others, maybe what they have, what I don't have, and to rejoice in what I have. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Right? Love is something we must fight for. Love is an attitude, and out of that attitude comes an action. Right? Mm -hmm. So I need to fight for love because every day love is being attacked mm -hmm. in my life. And I have the power by the Holy Spirit to go to Christ, my source of love, work on my attitude, work on my actions, and grow, right? Grow in love. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. I've had to deal with anger in my life. I've had to deal with being reactionary, and I'm sure others have as well. But the more love saturates my personality the less power anger has in my life. It says love keeps no record of wrongs. Anybody, are you thinking anybody having a grudge? Somebody that really hurt them? Are you struggling with that grudge? And if you are, I'm not judging you, but I'm, I'm telling you, if we let the sun go down on our anger, Satan gets a foothold. That's what I'm telling you. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed in deep ways. And sometimes it takes years to overcome that stuff. But the starting point is this. I want to forgive. I want to be made whole. I want to let them go. As Jesus laid, laid aside every sin, he talked about every sin and showed me grace. So I want to have that attitude towards everyone in my life. And it doesn't mean that I let people walk all over me. The Bible says if somebody sins against you, address the sin, as our sister said earlier today. You don't just look the other way. That's not loving. Enabling sin and destructive behavior is not loving. Okay, so if somebody sins against me, 
I need to bring it to Jesus, my hurt, my pain, whatever. And I need to respond in love towards that person, but acknowledge what they've done. And then talk to them about it. If they're not willing to repent, then I need to involve somebody else in a way that's constructive, not a gossip way. It's not an opportunity to vent. It's a constructive, loving way to try and bring restoration. And if they do not repent still, you, you bring the leadership of the scripture, the, the, the church involved. You bring the leaders involved. And if they don't repent, then you have nothing to do with them. So that loving people doesn't mean let yourself get walked over and get abused. But it does mean show grace and mercy and be patient along suffering. And Peter said to Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my brother that he sinned against me? Well, I wonder how many times he wanted to forgive his brother. Because again, it's hard. It's emotionally taxing to be around people that hurt you, right? He wanted to get out of it, probably. Jesus said not seven times, but seven times seven. Oh my, okay. We really are called to be gracious. Really gracious. If the person on the other side wants to reconcile, then, then we need to forgive and that relationship needs to be restored. Agape love is self-sacrificial. We lay down preferences and comforts for one another's well-being. I try to put other people's needs above my own. And I, we, we have to meet our own needs as well. If you don't, you're just going to starve and get burned out. right? Our needs are important. We want to be healthy in that. But I really do try to meet other people's needs in ways that are appropriate and biblical. We continue to love when it hurts, even when we're used, when we're betrayed, when we're abandoned. We don't love others based on their performance, but based on God's deep love for them. I'll oftentimes pray for God just to give me his heart for another person. Let me see this person from your heart, from your, your perspective. Give me grace. Give me grace. Other people's immaturity is not an excuse to stop loving them or to be around them. Has anybody ever struggled with hard-heartedness? Okay, I certainly have. And we're warned, we're warned against that in the, in the Bible, right? Somebody hurts us. They're not emotionally safe. We want to close our hearts to them. We don't want them to hurt us anymore. And we don't even want to feel, maybe we feel really bad emotionally. We just kind of want to shut it down. Right? The Pharisees were hard-hearted. You see so much hard-heartedness in the Old Testament. Somebody hurts you, it's natural to want to just shut yourself down and, and, and close your, your heart. But something really bad happens to a person that does that. Okay? You, you close your heart to somebody in a really deep way, it's probably going to affect other areas of your life. Right? If I close my heart, it's hard to give and receive love in other relationships. And I, I've seen people who have a deep unresolved pain and, and I see bitterness. It says in Hebrews, don't let a road of bitterness spring up lest it defile many in your heart. So if, if I'm hard-hearted, I let the sun go down on my anger, the devil gets entry point into my emotional life. Things are going to get ugly, right? So I need to, if I have a hard heart, God, I need to repent. It doesn't matter how wicked this, this thing was that this person did to me, I'm a steward of my heart. I can't steward my heart like that. I'm rebelling against God. So God, help me to repent. 
and to truly forgive this person, to release this offense, and start praying for that person. Pray for them, because when you pray for them, you're going to feel God's heart for them. You're going to see it from a different perspective. And sometimes it takes years, as I said before, for wounds to be dealt with. Like um, if somebody betrays somebody else in marriage, a deep covenant or a deep friendship, or a parent betraying a child in certain ways, these wounds can be so horrifically traumatic and so horrifically deep, right? It's, it's understood that you're going to have to process that for a long time. But we need to have the right heart posture in order to deal with that. Jesus leaves this world in, in victory. The worst hate is coming upon him. You think of any, anyone who's heard or betrayed you. Just think about that right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit will give you some people in your mind, okay? Now put yourself in Jesus' shoes. You've been falsely accused. There's a group of people that literally hate you. They literally want you dead. And um, they have broken justice. And they've put you into to hands of, of people who are going to kill you now. You know you're going to die. And they hate you and loathe you so much that they are reveling in this. Your enemies are reveling in your demise, in your destruction, in your being um, humiliated and mocked. Jesus, you know, some would say he was even naked on that cross. Expose blood pouring out of him. If anybody had a right to harden his heart and to judge and to condemn, it's Christ on that cross. The Pharisees are mocking him, right? But what does he do? What is his heart posture when he's dying on the cross, physically beyond anything any of us have ever felt, emotionally traumatized by this wickedness, the, the, the weight of sin, of our sin, my sin, your sin, is coming on his shoulders. And he responds by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His heart is for mercy, not for judgment. His heart is for mercy. And if any of those Pharisees were able to re repent by God's grace, they'd be in heaven with Jesus, and Jesus would be smiling. He'd be welcoming those people with open arms because he loves us unconditionally. And my prayer for myself, my prayer for all of us, is that we get that kind of heart that kind of heart and that will truly usher in the kingdom that will truly bring in transformation first john 1 7 says walk in the light as he is in the light and we'll have fellowship with one another that greek word is koinonia and that means a heart-to-heart -heart connection it's beyond new sport weather it's like no i'm, I'm really opening my heart up to you I want to let you in. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to, I'm going to trust. <coughs> John 17, 11, Jesus prays that his people be one as he and the Father are one. Okay, are we talking intimacy here? Yeah. Are we talking, I know your heart, I know your desires, I know your strengths and weaknesses, and I still love you, and I agree with you, and I support you? Yes, yes. this is the quality of relationship that Jesus invites us to have. That is a challenge. That's scary for a lot of people because we have been betrayed, we have been hurt, and it's hard to be vulnerable for so many people. But yet, 
the only way that we're truly going to be satisfied is if we keep taking risks with one another, we spend time with one another, and we open up our hearts to one another. That's why we do the groups. Every week we do groups. We meet in small groups and we talk and we pray and we share in hopes that real koinonia community will be developed. We'll really start to bond with each other and we'll really see transformation. Right? That is the hope. And I'm going to close with this scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 says, If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's a big word there, if. We have a choice. I can choose to love people today in a way that's really meaningful, that's really vulnerable. And if I do that, God is going to manifest himself in me and through me in a very special way to the point where it says his love is made complete in us. So God is waiting on us. The grace, the power, the love is there, but now it's for us to act, for us to truly go deeper and to, to be vulnerable in that way. And I'm going to pray for that, and then we're going to break up into small groups. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for your grace. We thank you for your commitment to us. And we just pray, God, that, that that truth of your agape would just break those strongholds, Lord. Break the lies that we experience as, as real. That we, we're not going to be loved. Our needs aren't going to be met. That we're not going to truly feel belonging or feel safe. All those things are lies, God. Those are lies. We pray that you would root us and ground us in love this morning. And we pray that we would become a, a place of love for one another. That we would give each other belonging, God. That we make each other feel valued and safe. That we'd be patient with each other and kind. Just thank you for your mercy, God. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.